0: check check all right thanks so much for sharing you know I think that it's most easy to forget to be thankful for the things that we grew up with or the things that we were born into like for me every day pretty much every day of my life I'm sorry it's really awkward when I have to burp you hear that I try to be very discreet. Okay. Uh, every day of my life, I pretty much forget to thank God for being an American citizen. I mean, I grew up here. I was born with my citizenship. And and it was so easy for me. It was effortless for me. But then I think about my parents and everything that my mom had to go through in order to gain citizenship here. She came uh, after for college. Um, and... She didn't know the language. She left all of her friends and family her culture. She moved to Texas, hosted by a great family. But when she was in class, she would have to look up every single word in the dictionary to try to understand uh, how to read her textbooks, how to pass her classes, and just how difficult it was to go from there to landing a job to getting uh, citizenship. I mean, I don't think there's a there's too many days where she forgets that journey and how hard it, it was. And then I think about how my grandma dreamt for my mom to be an American citizen and, and the suffering that she went through in order to, for us to be here, for me to be here. Um, that was the big dream for her. She would wash clothes uh, for her neighbors to save up probably pennies or even quarters in, in U.S. currency in order to save enough for a plane ticket. And back then, planes were... Ridiculously expensive. And when, she, when my mom was leaving on the plane, you had to, she gave her a month's worth of living expenses. And again, the conversion rate between uh, Taiwan and the U.S. was ridiculous at the time. I mean, it was very hard to save American currency. She said, if you squeeze the money hard enough, you'll see blood run through. Because that's how much work it took for her to send my mom to U.S. for me to be here. Today, I, I prepared a special sermon for Thanksgiving, and we're going to be looking primarily at the book of Judges. We're going to go into Judges chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, and it's really a summary of the whole book. And what happens in, in what precedes Judges is the book of Joshua, and Joshua was Moses' predecessor. So the Israels were, Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, the most powerful country. In the whole world at the time, they had chariots, they had trained armies, they, their reach was expansive. The Nile River uh, gave them agriculture, wealth, and trading, and was a protective barrier against enemies. And so to imagine a group of slaves being able to escape this country, usurp this country in order to be citizens and to have their own space is absurd. But we see God go to war for Egypt for Israel. Uh, he sent plagues. He sent frogs. He sent hail. He sends uh, all kinds of boils in order to topple this government to free his people. God literally went to war with the Egyptians. They come out. They see the Red Sea part. And then this generation dies in the desert. The next generation, because of disobedience, the next generation starts taking over the promised land. And they kick they, um, by God's grace and power, they become this invincible army, right? They walk around the building, the walls, they collapse, they drive out nations, and finally they settle in. And this is what happens in the book of Judges. The first chapter is about Joshua distributing the land and then kind of finishing up, claiming the territory that God's given them. And then verse 6, it says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, and all who have seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Um, this is the good times of Israel. If you have a pencil and paper, you could go ahead and write good times at the top. If you have a journal, that's even better. I'd love for us to bring our journals, Bibles, and pens, kind of like a classroom, right? You bring your notebook and your your textbook to class. So that's the good times. We're going to draw a diagram here. And all the people remembered God, remembered everything he did and was worshiping him as long as these kind of first generations of witnesses lived. But then we see how the Israelites quickly forgot God. After that whole generation, the generation of Joshua had been gathered to their ancestors, passed away, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what He had done for Israel, then the Lord, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the baals. The baals are basically any other idol, uh, idols or gods that they worshipped besides Yahweh. And I think often we can see the good times in our life lead to idolatry. We see this over and over in Israel, and when we go through this. This cycle of sin and forgetting God, this is a cycle that's repeated for the rest of the book of Judges. And so in your small groups this week, if you're all caught up in Matthew, I just want you to go through the book of Judges and see the cycle reoccur over and over again. And at first you're going to be really annoyed, like why does the Israelites do the same thing every generation or so? But then you see that this happens in our life on repeat as well. That God does good for our life. We have the season of tranquility. He provides the job we want. He gives us a community. He allows us to find um, our our partner. But then they become an idol. The blessings become our God, and we can easily start worshiping that and forgetting God. And then our idols enslave us. That when God lifts, when we stop worshiping Him, these idols. Then take us over. It says, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them to the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And then after the Israelites are sold to, or, or they are uh, taken over by their enemies, they always cry out to God. And then it says, For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and inflicted them. And then, after that, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. And so, again, you have this cycle, and um, like all of these different judges. Uh, These people, it says in the book of Judges, for 40 years they were at peace. For 60 years they were at peace. But next section, they forgot God. They did evil in the sight of God. Next section, armies invaded them. Next section, they cried out to the Lord. And it's really interesting to see the Lord's response after they cry out every time. Uh, I think there, there are these moments where you see God's great compassion, where it says that he could bear their suffering no longer. And and you or the the cries of the people reached him, and you see God again respond. He would send a deliverer, um, like Gideon, to to be this hero to free them, and then they would have peace for a while, and then they would forget God. And I wonder if we've seen this cycle in our lives. In, in really explicit ways, maybe you struggle with um, bulimia or eating disorder. Maybe you struggle with image management. Maybe you struggle with uh, sexual addiction. And things are okay for a while, but then you kind of forget God. You, you don't reach out to him. Um, and, and you become complacent in your relationship with him. And then you fall into sin. And at first, sin is awesome. But then you see it oppress you, and you feel the guilt and shame. And then we cry out to God, and He forgives us, He restores us, He redeems us. And then we go into good times again, but then we end up sinning again. Anyone can relate to that? Um, and then I think so, I think there's those really explicit sins. But I, what I feel like is more dangerous at times are these cycles when it's not as explicit. When it's things that are blessing and good in our life, but again, they distract us from God. So maybe God gives us a great job. And we were suffering. We, we were worried about rent. And so we went to him and we asked him, Lord, provide for us. And he gave us an amazing job. But then we just got caught up in building wealth. And we forget that it was his hand that gave it to us. So we overwork. And then we forget God. But then after a while the job starts to hurt different things in our life and we cry out to him and he delivers us, we refocus or maybe we lose our job and we cry out to him and he gives us a new job um, or maybe it's pride, maybe it's greed, maybe it's, it's serving the Lord and ministry becomes an idol. I think those idols that are more subversive are dangerous because we don't repent as quickly because they could go out for years because no one will call us out on those. So I wonder, if, if you have a paper, you should be, please uh, draw the cycle if you, if you can, and then go ahead and write down what your cycle is. Do you have a sin cycle that is immediate and fast and happens every couple of weeks because there's a sin you're addicted to? I have those. And is there a sin cycle or an idol cycle that is more subversive? that maybe you don't notice right away, but you've been caught in. And and it's something as simple as idolizing your kids or your house or your job, things that people might not call you out on, idolizing community and being accepted. So I would love for us just to kind of make this personal and be able to write out what our cycle is and try to identify this cycle in our lives. What, what's also interesting in this book is that it's not, most of the time it wasn't about an individual. That this book is really about a community's journey into good times, into forgetting God, into sin. And I think about Renew as a community and the good times we've had. Um, a lot of us have found really deep friendships here. We do birthdays together. We travel to different countries together. Uh, we're at each other's weddings. And, and we can hang out like multiple times a week. But I feel like we can also take community, which is one of our greatest strengths, and start to forget God and do evil in the midst of it. We can have community become the idol, And from there, we become insular, and we forget to be missional. From there, we um, start to judge people, or or go, or start gossiping, and 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 or we or we intentionally leave people out. When I think about what it looks like to gossip, which is a little related to my last sermon, I'm going to make a really easy. I'm going to define this really easily. So, pretend me and Paul are having a fight or a conflict, because I'm mad at him, or he's mad at me. I told Nina, if Paul or Jonathan is ever mad at me, it's probably my fault, because they don't get angry very easily. And so I go ahead and tell Johnny about it, and Johnny tells Jesse and Jube, but Jesse also tells Jube, so she has to hear the story twice. And Jube tells Philip, who tells Benedict, who's a therapist, so he doesn't tell anyone, and, uh, and Philip also tells Jay. I think... And the most simplistic definition of gossip is that all these people are gossiping. <laughs> like anyone that's not directly involved with the person is gossiping. If you're two or three degrees separated, you're gossiping. And, I, and there's really no reason for you to share about someone else's business when you can't facilitate reconciliation. All right? Um, Johnny, I could be gossiping even if I'm sharing to Johnny because if my intention is to slander Paul, is to attack his character, is to bring Johnny on my side so he sees Paul the way I see it, then I am gossiping and slandering Paul. Here are some of Patrick Fisher's quotes. Loose lips sink ships, friendships, right? So when we go ahead and tell other people Um, about someone else's stuff, friendships are fragile. You know, when I think about oppression and slavery, I know that there's people who should be here who aren't because we violated Patrick's principle. Um, I remember in eighth grade, or maybe in college, freshman year of college, I told, this girl told me who she liked, and I told the guy, and then he Like somehow she found out, which always happens, by the way. You should assume that one of these people is going to tell Paul. Anyways, um, and she asked me, did you tell him? And I was like devastated. I thought our friendship was over. And so I wanted to lie, but I confessed and she forgave me. And from that day, I realized that loose lips sink friendships. And I'm a much better secret keeper than I was back then. And also Patrick asked, why are you telling me this? And I think you can ask that in a humble way, but it's a really important question to ask. Like, by you telling me this, does it facilitate reconciliation or does it facilitate uh slander and um and me judging this person and greater division? And so, why are you telling me this? Is it is it going to help these two people get back together or are you just gossiping? And there's no reason for us to be st- Third and second and third degree removed, and to hear about it, right? There's no reason that that would help me walk towards reconciliation. And so I w- hope that as a community, when we see gossip and slander really hurting us, like when I think about our problem with the facility, I prayed for this as much as I prayed for the facility. I think that's how serious it is. And we we crowd to God as a community and ask him to help us. I think it looks like us being more like Paul than Wilson, right? Who shares with his very wise wife, Tiffany, and then talks to Jonathan with more about it, who facilitates some type of reconciliation. When we think about the cycle, we can go through it again and again, or we can walk away. And in the good times... Instead of forgetting God, remembering Him. Instead of worshiping other idols, being thankful to the Lord and worshiping Him. I feel like Thanksgiving can be such a realignment of our heart towards God. And when we do this well, what happens is like we can build off of the good times. We can build our families, we can build our communities, we can accomplish things for the Lord. Sin takes us off course from our destiny and our purpose. Sin takes us off course from things that really matter, right? When we forget God, we forget why we're living and what's really important. When we take the good times and we capitalize on them, uh, we get to bless the people around us. Israel had 17 national holidays to remember God. That's That's like a national holiday and a half per month. And each one were to be these markers in the ground, these physical actions that brought people toward the Lord in remembering his great work for him, how how he delivered them through uh, Esther's prayer and confrontation with the king. Or the biggest one was the Passover. They would kill a lamb, but they would also dip their finger in salt water and lick it to remember all of the tears that their ancestors had while in slavery. They would eat these bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of being enslaved. And then they would do this whole process where they walked again through God's deliverance of them in in, uh, bringing them out of Israel. So what are the rhythms that we've set up in our lives to remember God's work? And, and we have some things there, but does it still hold meaning and, and worship for us? When we take communion, does it still remind us that our Savior died on the cross for our sins? When we look out at Christmas, do the lights remem- remind us that Jesus is the light of the world? Do the trees remind us that he died on a tree to forgive us of our sins? Do the presents remind us of God's greatest gift? to us, when we come in on Sunday, are we setting aside work to say, God, I trust you. You're my provider. Do we have, can we have mementos? Momento, that is that a breath? Anyways, uh, mementos that can be physical reminders of God's provision in our life. I remember I didn't have health insurance. Uh, I, was, I was pretty poor at the time. But this dentist invited me to do, like, I hadn't seen the dentist for years, which made me really happy. And then I go to the dentist, so I realize I have, like, I don't know, five or six cavities. And he does all the work for me. He drills, he stuffs things in, he stuffs more things in. And then he gives me the bill, and it's uh, $2,400. And I was like, I got zero cash on me. (laughs) You know, like I have a five and some quarters. (laughs) Um, And I was just so worried. I had no insurance. And then he said, this is how much it costs, but I'm going to give it to you for free because I really believe that God wants me to bless you in this way. And I remember I took up that bill and I just put it against my wall for years. And in some of the poorest times in my life, I just looked at that piece of paper as a physical reminder that God's the one who provides for me. I wonder if we could set up things to help us remember God instead of forget Him because our memories are so fragile. Those moments where we prayed and begged Him for something, those moments where we clung on to Him and He came through, have, have those moments slipped away? Or have we gathered those moments to go back and worship, to remind us of how He loves us, how He provides for us, how we're His child. When we forget, we worship idols. When we remember, we worship Him. Thankfulness, ultimately, is the process of remembering God in all our good and His work in the bad, in the hard times. You know, if we don't attach God to any all the good in our life, then we will worship the good. If there's anything in your life that you don't see God handing to you that you also think is good, that is an idol, okay? So how does everything good come out of the hand of God and lead to worship of Him? And how has He worked in the bad? How can we stop and remember to thank Him and worship Him in those moments? When we are thankful we worship god instead of idols we worship god instead of our boss and our job we worship god instead of our baby we worship god instead of our girlfriend we worship god instead of our community thankfulness leads us to a humble heart instead of pride when we are really thankful we're saying ultimately this is from the lord and it's not my effort ultimately it's not because i worked hard it's not because i did something it's because god gave it to me and that gives us a sense of humility you know one of the things that keeps me humble every day is i just simply thank god for running water because i didn't make those pipes i didn't make water run in my house but i have clean running water anytime i want it but you know what if that was taken away from me tomorrow I would spend the whole day trying to get running water. I wouldn't be a pastor. I, wouldn't, I would try to be a father by getting running water for from, from my family. I wouldn't go to any parties, right? I would just be getting running water. My whole life would be about getting running water. And so I'm humbled every day that God would give me running water, that he would give me my next breath, that Liam's healthy. If Liam was in the hospital, I would drop everything to be with him. There are certain things in your life that are foundational, and the rest of your life is built upon it, and you didn't do anything for those things to occur. How can we humble ourselves and say, God, it's because you've given me this that I can do anything else with my life? When we thank God, we can be generous instead of selfish. If everything is from the Lord's hand, we can give it away, because it wasn't us who earned it. It's hard to give away what you earned. It's a lot easier to give away what God's given you. And also it gives us contentment instead of FOMO, right? Thankfulness says what is in your hand instead of what is not in your hand. Thankfulness is saying, well, who are the people that I can invest in versus who are the people that have left me out? Thankfulness says, "What are all the things I have in my house?" Instead of "What are the Black Friday deals in um, on Amazon that I can't afford?" Um, thankfulness allows us to zoom out instead of get fixated on a few things that we don't have. When we thank God for the good times, we will trust Him in the hard times. When we thank ourselves in the good times, we will we will be extremely unpeaceful, and we'll see the shortness of our hands when when the hard time comes. Um, I've told the story of how we ended up at the Meridian probably 50 times, maybe 100, to all kinds of people. <laughs> uh, Ten days before our preview service, we had sent out tens of thousands of invitations, and we got kicked out of our old facility. I was an inch away from a nervous breakdown, but I looked at Katie, my intern at the time, with hope in her eyes, and I was like, you have to be strong for her. I said, don't worry, Katie. Jesus is sitting on the throne. He has us covered, right? And uh, I kind of believed that. And then he drops out this facility in our lap, and it was amazing. And I don't don't take credit for it. I don't think I've ever taken credit for it. Uh, I've taken credit for other things that I shouldn't have, but not this, okay? And that's the story that I tell people, and that's the story in my heart. So when the city said, you guys can't be here anymore, I think our whole leadership team, Paul, Jonathan, Kristen, Tiffany, Nina, said, you know what? We didn't, we didn't get this place on our own. God gave it to us, and he's going to give us another place too. And there was just this sense of peace and trust because we didn't take credit for the good times. We, we gave him worship. And in the hard times, when things are taken away, we see God behind it, right? So like when things are taken away from your life, if it was from the hand of God and things are taken away, guess what you see? You see him. And there's so much peace and focus when you see him. But if you're not thanking God for your job, if you're not thanking God for your health, If you're not thanking God for your community and your friends, and it starts to be shaken or taken, and all that's behind that is emptiness, you're going to be scared. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be horrified. Thank God for everything you have, and find in the good times, and find his peace, uh, find his face when things get tough. I wonder how we can thank the Lord and remember him this morning in a way that breaks our cycle. So when we think about the idols that we set up in our life, when we think about the sin that we wrestle with, how can we worship God and remember him in a specific way so that we're not going to this idol anymore, so that we're not being enslaved by it, so that we're not having to cry out for deliverance, which is okay because God comes and delivers us. How do we break the cycle through Thanksgiving? And I would love for you to think and share on that, write that down on your paper or your journal, and then go ahead and pray for each other and take communion together. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you and... um, yeah i just I just remember um, and I don't remember, which is really sad too, all the things that you've done for this community and I pray especially for those who feel like they have deep friendships here, that they would remember to extend friendship to others because their friendship is here is from you, and I pray for those who are feeling insecure about friendship here. That they would see your hand and your face and know that they're okay and that you are the one who satisfies all of our needs. I pray for all the good things in our life, that somehow we would see you instead of worshiping those things. And I pray for the hardest moments in our lives, that as we remember you well, As we thank you for all these other things that you've given us, we would trust you for the uncertainty of our futures as well. In Jesus' name. All right, would you please spend three minutes again with the people you've shared with and go ahead and answer some of these questions and take communion together.